Have you ever been in a place where you could see what you wanted to accomplish, but were, for, but were prevented from getting there because of an enormous obstacle? If so, you can understand how the people of Israel felt in the passage that we're going to study today. Let me give you some background to put us in the story that we're looking at. For about 300 years, the Israelites lived in slavery to the Egyptians. Then God delivered them and took them to a land that they had been waiting for since the days of Abraham. The Lord delivered them with acts of mighty power that brought a powerful nation to its knees. When the Lord brought them out of Egypt, He led them to the promised land. During this time, He led them, He protected them, and He provided for them. And all of this was done in pretty spectacular fashion. And all they had to do when they arrived at the edge of the promised land was trust God, go in, and take what God had given them. Instead of moving forward in faith, they allowed doubt-filled disobedience to keep them from entering the promised land and experiencing all that God had for them. God was not at all pleased with their doubt-filled disobedience, and He told them that none of those who should have conquered the promised land would ever set foot in the promised land. Instead, they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the generation that refused to go in all died and passed away. At that point, He would then lead the children of these people into the promised land, and they would be the one who received all of the promises that God had given them. They did as God had said and wandered for 40 years. When the time was right, God led the next generation to the edge of the promised land. All that stood between this generation and all the promises that God had given them was the Jordan River. Now, under normal circumstances, the Jordan River would not have been much of a barrier to prevent them from accomplishing what needed to be done, since where they were crossing at normally was only about 100 feet wide. Crossing it would not have been a problem. However, at this time, there was a problem because God brought them to the edge of the Jordan at harvest time. And what this meant for them is that the Jordan was now overflowing its banks. Where the Jordan was normally a hundred feet from bank to bank at harvest time, it was now, according to one commentator, about a mile from bank to bank. There seemed to be no way for them to cross the river. They needed supernatural help if they were going to claim and experience the promises of God. And it's safe to say that all of us, at one time or another, we have to face Jordans in our lives. We look at obstacles that stand between us and the good promises of God, and it feels impossible to be able to do what we think needs to be done. We conclude that we'll never have the abundant life that Jesus promised to give. We'll never have victory over our sinful nature. We'll never really be bold and faith-filled. We'll never find and use our spiritual gifts. We'll never consistently have the peace that passes all understanding. Now, if you've ever felt this way, then I have good news for you this morning. Well, I don't know what Jordans you face in your life today. I do know a God that specializes in overcoming the overwhelming. I know a God who can lead you across the Jordan so that you can experience all of His promises. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Open your Bible to Joshua chapter 3. That's page 169 in the Pew Bibles. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to end up looking at all of, John, of Joshua 3 this morning, but we're just going to read the first five verses right now. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove, and they came to the Jordan. 
he and all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers came and went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves. Tomorrow the Lord will work wonders among you. The title of the message this morning is Crossing Rivers, Walking in the Will of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are great and awesome. Worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we love you. We praise you and we want our lives to be lived for your glory. Father, we want to accomplish your will in this world. We want to experience your promises in our lives. We want to do the things that you want us to do. Your word is filled with many great and precious promises. Promises of peace and joy and hope. Promises of victory, promises of the ability to talk to you and know that you hear. Promises, God, that, that we can be transformed and not be the same person that we've always been. God, your word is true and your promises are good. But how often it seems that there are obstacles in the way. Rivers that we can't cross. Things that keep us from getting to where we, we know we ought to be. Where you want us to be. Where we want to be. Today as we look at this passage of Scripture, God, strengthen us and encourage us to know that you can overcome the overwhelming. Help us to know that what is an obstacle for us is nothing to you. Help us to be filled with faith and to be willing to do all the things that you want us to do. Help us to experience your promises in our lives. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. So I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. Father, let all that we say and all that we do be for you and be because of Jesus. Let what happens here today make a difference in how we live tomorrow. That our lives testify to the greatness and the glory of our God who has loved us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. But you may be seated. The mighty swelling Jordan stood between the people of God and the promises of God. And yet in verse 5, God had promised to do wonders among them. And surely whatever wonders God was going to do among them had something to do with enabling them to cross the river. And indeed it did. If you look at, at verse 13, it says, And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters shall come down upstream. They shall stand up as a heap. God was going to do wonders among them, but only as they obeyed Him. The wonders of verses 14 through 17 would not come to pass without the obedience of verse 13. 
It's important that we understand how critical obedience is to everything with God. And so the central truth today is that obeying the will of God enables me to experience the promises of God. Indeed, there is no way to experience the promises of God without obeying the will of God. Obedience is always key to anything we want to receive or do or be in Jesus Christ and because of who God is and what God has done. This passage, it shows us three aspects of how we obey God, obey the will of God so that we can experience the promises of God. First, we have to trust God's leadership. Now, the Israelites, as they stood at the edge of the Jordan River that was swelling its banks, they knew they had to cross to get into the promised land. They knew at some point that was what needed to be done. And what we see in this is that they didn't know how to do it. They had no idea of what it was that needed to be done. They weren't just to run out and find a way to do it. In verse 3, they were told to wait until they saw the ark of the covenant begin to move. And then they were to follow that. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was significant to the life of the nation of Israel. The Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God in the nation. When the Ark was with the people, God was with the people. So when, when they say to, to wait until you see the Ark move, really what they were saying was wait until you see God move. You have to trust God's leadership and not just run out and do it the way you want to do it. Trust that God knows what needs to be done and trust that God's going to do the right thing. Now, as I was studying this, I think there are two aspects of trusting God's leadership that are almost opposites, but are both very important. First, we have to wait on God's timing. We have to wait on God's timing. One of the things I noticed was how much waiting there was. They didn't just move up to the edge of the Jordan and suddenly the waters parted for them. Instead, they, verse 1, it says they... They got there by the Jordan and they lodged there. Verse 2 says it was three days later that they were told to wait some more before God moved, before they saw the ark. So all that they had to do was they had to get there and then it was time to wait. Wait on God. Wait on His leadership. Wait on His timing. And that's a, a hard thing to do when you can see the promises of God, when you can see where you want to be, where you need to be, what you know God has promised to give to you and to your people. Despite the fact that it's difficult to wait, it's critical to wait. Over and over again in Scripture, we are given pictures, examples of people who rushed ahead and moved before God told them, and problems ensued. We can think of Abraham and Sarah who were told that they would have a child in due time. But because they grew weary of waiting on God, they came up with their own plan. Sarah said, hey, here's Hagar. If you sleep with her and she has a kid, that must be what God meant. And yet it wasn't what God meant. And all kinds of problems followed. We can think about King Saul, who was ready to go into battle. And his soldiers were scared. 
And they were beginning to run away. And they were waiting on Samuel to come and make a sacrifice for the blessing of God to win the battle. And when Saul saw that Samuel delayed, he made the sacrifice, which was not his job. He, it cost him his kingdom. And eventually, it, it, that was the, the beginning of a path of rebellion that led to the end of his life. Rushing ahead, moving when God says, wait. It's always, always a mistake. It's always a path to a critical failure. There is another reason that we need to wait on the Lord. And, and I like this passage. It says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, there are so many passages in the Bible that tell us the importance of waiting upon the Lord. But I chose this one specifically because of what we need to know. One reason why we have to wait is that when we wait upon the Lord, we will be given strength. Right? I like what it says, even the young men shall utterly fail. Everyone will eventually run out of strength. No matter how physically or spiritually strong we are, there will come a time when, when the issues are greater than what we can do alone. Many times the obstacles we face between our Canaan land, our promised land, are more than we can do on our own. What are we to do when the obstacle is bigger than we're able to accomplish on our own? Where do we find the strength to keep on keeping on when everything within us wants to quit? When we can see and we know that we obviously can't do it on our own. We wait upon the Lord. And as we wait upon the Lord and we wait on His timing, He will give us all the strength that we need to do what He wants us to do. If God has desired us to, to cross our Jordan... To defeat our obstacle. If we wait upon Him, He will surely give us the strength we need to overcome it. He will do what we cannot do. So we have to wait on God's time. But not only do we wait on God's timing, we, we also have to move when God moves. But in verse 4, it says, There shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it. You may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way before. See, there is the waiting. And while certainly there is time that we have to wait upon the Lord and, and wait on His timing, God will not have us wait forever. There will come a time where God says, get up and go. Where God will begin to lead us to cross our Jordan, to overcome our obstacle. And in that moment, what we must do is go. We have to move when God moves. Now, I like... What it says about why they were to do this. Do not come near it that you may know the way you must go for you have not passed this way before. They've never experienced all the promises of God. They've not been in the promised land before. They don't know the way. They don't know how to get from where they are to where they need to be. But God does. And if they move when God moves, he will clear a path. He will make a way. 
You know, for us, there's a, a very similar principle. There are often obstacles and we don't know how to overcome them. We don't know the way from where we are to where we want to be. We don't know the way from wanting the promises of God to experiencing the promises of God. But God does. And God will lead us if we move when He moves. And one of the great promises of Scripture that, that we find from Jesus is that He absolutely leads His people. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, I love that. You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, we can hear His voice. We can know when our Lord is leading us. We can know when He wants us to stay, and we can know when He wants us to move. And He knows us. I love that. Isn't it good to know that He knows you? But he doesn't know a group. He knows you as an individual, you as a person. And when he speaks, he calls you by name and he says, come and follow me. And I love the idea again of follow me. In the army, we had leaders sometimes who would say, hey, there's an obstacle. Get over it. Right. Cross it. And and there are people in our lives that will do the same things. I'll cheer you on as you go. But Jesus doesn't call on us to blaze a trail and then he comes after us. He doesn't encourage us by saying, go, 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 go. He says, follow me. He leads us through the water. He leads us over the obstacle. He leads us along the path that we must go. All we have to do is follow where he leads. We see this all throughout Scripture. When the Israelites came out of Egypt... And they were headed to the promised land the first time. Was it up to them to find their own way? And God say, "Just it's that way, just kind of keep going. No. They walked out and they found a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And they followed it. And, and when you read the story, it's pretty neat because what happened was they would move as long as the pillar moved. But then it would stop. And when he stopped, they would stop. And they stayed stopped as long as God stayed stopped. And when then God started moving... They started moving. They waited on God's timing. They moved when God said to move. When Jesus called his disciples, he came to them and he said what? Follow me. Over and over again in Scripture, we can follow our Lord. This is what we do. This is how we trust his leadership. And as I was thinking about this, what I realized is this is an issue of submission. Because there are going to be times where God wants us to wait and we want to go. I mean, who who likes to wait? Who is who here is a really a patient person? Scott, are you a patient person? Scott's a, Scott's the most patient person I know, really. Right. Patience is a virtue, but it's something we all probably would say I need to develop. So there are going to be times where God says, wait, and we're going to say, but it's just right there. And I can see what I need to do. And God's going to say, no. And so we have to submit to his leadership. And then there are going to be times where God says, let's go. And what are we going to say? Oh, well, that's a scary thought. Really? I mean, it was fine when I was waiting to say I'm chomping at the bit to go. But now you're calling me out. It's kind of like when you enlist in the military. When you enlist, you're really excited. And all the days building up to it, it's just like, yes, I can't wait. And then the night before you're supposed to ship out, you lay in bed and go, 
What on earth have I done? This is just a wow, right? You're excited until it's time, and then, wow, what a scary thing to do. And I think it's that way with following God. God's going to say, the time is now. Let's, let's go. And we're going to be like, whoa, let's not go so fast. Let's slow down. So what we're going to have to do is submit to God's leadership and, and move when he says. Submission is difficult. Because the reality is, it's not really submission until we don't want to do it. You know, submission, we don't submit to things that we want to do. We submit to things we don't want to do. So when we don't want to wait, we submit to God by waiting. When we don't want to move, we submit to God by moving. And all of this, we do it because we trust His way is best. That He knows the way, and I don't. He has the means, and I don't. It is possible for us to experience the promises of God. But we only experience the promises of God as we obey the will of God. And a part of obeying the will of God is trusting His leadership enough to wait on His timing and then move when He says to move. Secondly, I have to lighten my load. Joshua said to the people in verse 5, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify yourselves. If they wanted to go where God was going, they had to let go of some things that they were holding on to. The Israelites were were far from perfect. When you read Exodus and such, you find that they, they did so many things that God told them not to do. They made so many mistakes. And as they get to the edge of the promised land, despite all that God had done, there were still idols among them. There were still sin in the camp. There were still things that needed to be dealt with. And in order to obey the will of God, in order to to follow where God was leading, they were going to have to let those things go. But if they wanted to see the wonders that God was going to do among them, they couldn't stay the way that they are. They had to get rid of all the stuff that was hindering them. All the stuff that offended God. All the stuff That was wrong in their lives. And you and I, well, we have a similar decision that we have to make. right? Hebrews says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're called to lay aside the weight and the sin that ensnares us. And I like this passage because of, Really, it's a difficult passage if you think about it. But we're called to run the race with endurance, to, to do what God has called us to do, to, in our context, to obey the will of God so that we can experience the promises of God. If I want to obey the will of God so that I can experience the promises of God, I, I've got to lighten my load. I've got to lay aside the weights. Now, the thing that makes weights difficult is that, that weights are not necessarily sinful. What the author of Hebrews is calling a weight It is really anything that slows us down. Anything that hinders us. But if you have ever had to run any distance, you know that you don't want to run carrying a 50-pound sandbag. If possible, you want to put that down and let it go. Because it slows you down, it makes it more difficult, and you can't really, it's hard to run really far carrying something that heavy. And in our lives... 
There's, there's stuff that slows us down in running the race that God has set before us. There is stuff that hinders us from obeying the will of God. It, it keeps us from saying yes, Lord, immediately. It keeps us from saying it ever. It, it keeps us from being who God wants us to be and doing what God wants us to do. Now, I can't tell you what the weights are. Because weights are different from person to person. What weighs you down may not weigh me down. And what weighs me down may not weigh you down. And weights really are not inherently sinful, usually. I'll give you an example with my dad. When my dad really committed himself to to serve the Lord, he realized that he was taking part in a hobby that kept him out of church. My dad was a skeet shooter. And he was a good skeet shooter. He was a state champion multiple times. He was a world champion at one time. But dad went skeet shooting every Thursday after work and every Sunday after church. And he didn't come back till way after dark either time. He spent pretty much every night out in the shop loading shotgun shells, reading skeet magazines, thinking of different ways to be a better shot. And dad realized That by spending all of this time on preparing to shoot, he was neglecting his family. And that by going and spending all this time shooting, he was missing, he missed church a lot so that he could go shoot early. How do you want to get the early shoot times? So he would go instead of going to church. Now, shooting skeet isn't sinful. But my dad realized it was a weight. It was holding him back from being all that God wanted him to be. And so... He had to let skeet shooting go. He occasionally shoots now, but very, very rarely. What is the weight in your life? What keeps you from obeying God? What holds you back from being all that God wants you to be? What, what keeps you from waiting on God's timing and moving when God says to move? I don't know. That's something you have to search yourself. You have to look within yourself and figure out. But if you want to obey the will of God so that you can experience the promises of God, you're going to have to figure out what it is. You're going to have to lay it aside. And then there's sin. The sin which so easily ensnares us. First John 1, 5 and 6, it just tells us very clearly that we cannot walk in the light and walk in darkness at the same time. It is impossible to follow God and live in sin. I do one or I do the other, but I cannot do both. So if we're going to obey the will of God so that we can accomplish or experience the promises of God, we're going to have to lighten our load. There's going to be some things we let go. And I was thinking about that because that can sound harsh, right? I have to let some things go. I have to make changes. I have to do something different. And then I realized, I don't guess you have to. Because you can hold on to the weight and you can hold on to the sin. But in the end, you're still letting something go, I guess. If we want to obey the will of God and experience the promises of God, I have to let go of the weights and the sins which hold me back. But if I want to hold on to the weights and the sins that hold me back, I can But in the process, I let go of obeying the will of God and experiencing the promises of God. I can't do both. It it is. In all of our lives, it's one or the other. We're going to lighten our load in one way or another. We're going to lighten our load of obeying God's will and experiencing God's promises. Or we're going to lighten our load of the weights and sins so that we can 
obey God's will and experience God's promises. But either way, friend, we're letting something go. The choice is, what are we going to let go of? What is most important? Obeying God's will and experiencing His promises or the weights and the sins that keep me from obeying His will and experiencing His promises? As much as we might try, we can't hold on to both. And many do try. But in the end, it, it, always, it always brings us down. That's just more than we can bear. I think about when I was in the army. And we would get new soldiers in. And new soldiers, they knew everything. I mean, they were the smartest people that had ever walked the planet. They knew more about soldiering than, than anyone else ever did. They had watched Rambo and Full Metal Jacket and Stripes. I mean, they, they knew it all. And new soldiers typically did the same thing. They arrive on base, they go to the PX, and they just max out their, their credit on Rambo gear. Big knives, all of this stuff, extra gear. And then when it's time to go to the field, they pack it. Now, when we went to the field anyway, our packs weighed at a minimum of 50 pounds, often upwards of 75. That was pretty normal. But a private, they would pack all their extra gear in there, and it would weigh 100, 125 pounds. And you'd tell them, you can't carry all of that for 30 days. It's 110 degrees with 1,000% humidity in Kentucky. You're going down from heat. And they would be like, no way. I can do it. I went to basic training. I graduated. You're just, you'll, you'll see. And it never failed. You'd be walking through the woods, hot and sweaty and miserable, and you'd hear, oh, wham! And you'd look back, and there the doofus would be, all flat out, pale, not sweating. And you had to quickly give them an IV and try to keep them from dying out there in the woods. And it always made me mad because it was stupid. They didn't have to go down. If they had let go of some of the stupid things they were carrying, they could have made it. But their own stubbornness, their own pride, brought them low. Christians do the same things. I can keep this weight. I can keep this sin. And I can still obey the will of God. Oh, what a weight that is to carry. What a burden that is to go on. The longer it goes, the heavier it gets. And eventually, there's an explosion. Somebody just, I mean, everything falls apart. They have a complete meltdown. The world explodes around them. And it's always so sad because it doesn't have to happen. All you have to do is let go of the weight and the sin so that you can obey the will of God and experience the promises of God. Jesus said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If our relationship with Jesus is beating us down, weighing us down, and we're under the verge of collapse, chances are we're doing something wrong. Chances are we're carrying weights we need to lay aside. If we want to be in it for the long haul, to overcome our obstacle, to obey the will of God and experience the promises of God, we're going to have to let some things go. We're going to have to lighten our load. And the thing to lighten is the weights and the sin which so easily ensnare us, weigh us down, 
and destroy us. And then the final, the way that we obey the will of God to experience the promises of God is I have to get my feet wet. Joshua tells the priest to get ready and go, that God is going to do something amazing in their sight, something they have yet to see. God tells Joshua that the purpose of this is so that the people will begin to know that God is with him as he was with Moses. Which, that's a pretty big thing, wouldn't you think, for Joshua? I mean, Moses was pretty significant. God says, I'm going to make sure they understand that I'm as much with you as I was with Moses. That the leadership doesn't rest, rise and fall on the person, but on the God who leads the person. So they are, the priests are told to, to pick up the ark and they are to walk. And verse 13 says that they are to step into the river. It says, it shall come to pass that as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who enter the ark of the Lord, the the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream, they shall stand as a heap. Now, that's that's a pretty big thing. God is going to part the Jordan as he parted the Red Sea for Moses. A very similar miracle. But there is a difference this time. Moses just sort of stood there and held his staff up and God blew the wind and it all happened. But this time, this time the people are going to have to get their feet wet. The priests are going to have to get into the raging river of the Jordan. And from what I can gather, they're not just going to walk up to the edge and touch the toe and step back and God's going to do it. They're kind of going to have to be all in. Because the ark was carried by people in the front. And people in the back. And the poles that carried the ark, they were pretty long. So the guys in the front were going to have to get deep enough in the water that the guys in the back could at least have both of their feet maybe ankle deep in the water. They were going to have to get their feet wet. God was going to to make the waters part. He was going to make a way through the obstacle. But only, only if they stood in the water. And they got their feet wet. If the priests and the Levites had stood beside the river and said, I believe it, man. God's going to part this sea. He's going to this river. He's going to do it. It's going to happen. I believe it. I proclaim it. And then never step foot in the water. Not one thing would happen. In the end, their faith had to give way to action. And they had to get their feet wet. What we see in verse 14 through 17 is that when they got in the water, God parted the Jordan River just like he said he would do. But the miraculous event of verses 14 through 17 would not have happened unless they got their feet wet. For us, there are many promises that God has given to us. Peace, hope, power. Joy, all kinds of things. And I'm afraid that often what we do is we stand at the edge of the river and we say, I believe, I believe God can give me these things. I believe God can use me to reach out to a lost and a dying world and to help people come to Jesus. I, I, I believe that God hears me when I pray. I believe that God can do all that He said He can do. Get in the water. No, no. I believe from right here where it's safe. I believe, and we start right at the edge, but we don't take the step that's necessary to see what God wants done. I mean, have you ever, have you ever wondered what you miss out on 
because you don't take that step and get your feet wet? Do you ever think, I mean, because I think for many of us, wouldn't you say that there's a fear to doing some things? I mean, there's a, at a time, there's a fear to, to praying big things and, and expecting God to do it. There's a fear to saying, I believe God has gifted me to do this because what if when I do it, it doesn't work like I think it should. There's a fear to, to trying to share the gospel because what if they don't get saved? We, we let fear keep us right on the edge and we never step foot in. And without that step, we, we always, always miss what God wants to do in us, through us, and for us. And the absolute truth of Scripture is that God wants to work in us. I love this passage here. For God is working in you. Right? And I just want to stop there. God is working in you. I mean, that's a, that is an absolute statement. It's not God might be working in you. God could be working in you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, Scripture promises that God is working in you. So what is God working in us for? To give you the desire to do what pleases Him. So for each one of us, God is at work in our lives, giving us a desire to do something for His honor and for His glory. Now, it would be different for each person, but there is something. It could be to know God better, to understand Scripture better, to have a better marriage, to be a better parent, to lead someone to Jesus, to have a better prayer life. It could be any number of things. But there is, there should be something that God is doing in us, giving us a desire. Now, with a desire to make a change, there is a little bit of dissatisfaction, right? I mean, doesn't that make sense? If I, if I want to have a closer relationship with God, then there should be a dissatisfaction with the relationship I have to a little bit. I know there's more. If I want to have a better relationship with my wife, then there should be a, reg- a recognition that it's not all that it could be. If I want to be a better parent, there's a dissatisfaction with the way that I do just a little bit, right? There's, there should be within all of us a bit of something where we're not fully completely happy with and a desire to make it better because God works in us and that's what he does that's why complacency is always a problem listen unless you can say you are just like Jesus and your actions and your attitudes your priorities and and everything in your life we've got no reason to be complacent there's there's work that God wants to do in us so if we're complacent we're satisfied that's a problem So God works in us and he gives us a desire to do what pleases him. And and then I love this next part and the power to do what pleases him. This is great because God not only gives us a desire to do something, he gives us the ability to do it. God gave the Israelites a desire to cross the Jordan River and then he gave them the power to get across it. God gave them a a desire to conquer the promised land. And then he stopped the sun and rained down hell so that they could accomplish it. But God gave them the desire to do it. And then he gave them the ability to make it happen. Anytime God gives us a desire to do something for his glory. He also gives us the ability to make it happen. Think Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
If God gives you a desire to do it, God always gives you the power to do it. It's never any other way. God never says, wouldn't it be great if you did this? Now go and give it your best shot. No. God says, go and do this. I will be with you and I will work and I will make it happen. One of the things I love in the book of Joshua, I'm just about through there in my daily Bible reading, is that over and over again, they have to work. They have to do something. But it never fails that God does more than they do. They have to step in the water, but God parts the, God parts the river. They have to go and fight, but God rains down hailstones that kills more people than they do. Right? Everything, they have to do something, but then God does more. God makes sure that it happens. You and I, we have to do our part. We have to get our feet wet. But as we do, God does more than we can imagine. That's a great thing. And what's challenging about that passage is, if God gives me the desire and if God gives me the power, then why am I not doing it? Because that's the question. Why do I not have a better prayer life? Why am I not leading people to Jesus? Why is my marriage not getting better? Why am I not doing these things? Very often it's because we're not doing our part. It's not that it's not possible. It's not that God is failing to keep His end of the bargain. It's that we're not doing the parts that we're supposed to play. We're not getting our feet wet. There comes a time where our faith in words has to give way to faith in action. At some point, my confidence that God is going to part the Jordan has to lead me to step into the water and get my feet wet. And until, until I take that step, I am guaranteed to miss out on all that God wants to do in me, through me, and for me. The parents of these people, they did just that. They got right to the edge. And God told them to go in and they said the people are too big. Their armies are too strong. Their walls are too fortified. We can't. God could. But because they didn't believe and they were not willing to get their feet wet, they missed out all of the promises of God. They never got to experience All that God had for them. I believe that many times we miss on experiencing the promises of God. Not because we don't believe. But because we don't believe enough to get our feet wet. We won't step out and do our part. I would love to tell you that everything is just we pray and God does it and that's all there is to it. I pray for someone to be saved and then God saves them and I never have to talk to them. I never have to be uncomfortable. That I can have joy and there will never be a problem that comes into my life. That I can have peace and there will never be a problem. If we just believe right, if we say the right words, if we do the right things, if we come to church enough, if we give enough, if we fast enough. Friends, all of that's a lie. There is no way to experience the promises of God without obeying the will of God. And obeying the will of God always requires us to get our feet wet. There is no way 
to live and breathe and act within our comfort zone and experience all that God wants to do in us, through us, and for us. At some point, to experience the promises of God, we have to step into the water. So let me ask you today, are you experiencing the promises of God in your life? I mean, can you say for certain that you have the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control that should be there from the fruit of the Spirit? Are you, as God told Joshua, bold and courageous, meditating day and night on the Word of God so that you can have great success? Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Are you using it for the glory of God? Are, are you, I mean, as you look at Scripture and, and what the Bible promises, do you see this is true in my life? And if not, why not? I mean, if the Bible is true and if it's all for real, why are we not experiencing it? Is it possible that we're not experiencing the promises of God because we aren't obeying the will of God? We're not trusting His leadership. We're not waiting on His timing. We're rushing ahead to do what we think needs to be done. Or when, when He says to move, we're not moving. We're staying because we're afraid. Fear is keeping us paralyzed from, from acting in the ways that God is trying to lead us to go. Is it because we're carrying things we need to let go of? The weights and sins in your life that must be laid aside so that you can obey the will of God. Experience the promises of God. Are your feet wet because you're walking by faith and you're believing that God is going to do everything He says and so you're making decisions in your life as though those things were going to happen? I believe the more I study, the more I believe all of this stuff should, we should have peace. We should have hope. We should have joy. We should be bold. We should experience the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. We should have powerful prayer lives. We should be following God. We should know that Jesus is with us. We, we should know. We should, we should experience all that the Bible says. And for me, I want to find out what's keeping me from it. Because this isn't, hey, you guys get better and you'll be like me. This is, I'm traveler with you. Gosh, I can see a difference in things that aren't as they should be in my life. Let's determine that we will be a people who no matter the cost, no matter the difficulty, no matter the fear, we will obey the will of God so that we can experience the promises of God. I believe we live around a world that desperately needs to see that Jesus is real. They need to know that His Word is true. There is hope to be found. There is peace to be had. There is joy that has nothing to do with the physical pleasures of this life. Let's obey the will of God so that we can experience the promises of God. Let's stand.